Hey guys, how's it going? Well, the weather this week, but um, please enjoy this interview with our Hollywood Hood sommelier. sommelier. Hello, Jameson. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Nicole? Uh, you know, it's cold. Um, the situation is a little bit loud, so please pardon the tinkling of spoons. Um, it felt appropriate to talk about wine surrounded by coffee because I feel like the two have very similar qualities in terms of tasting notes. So, absolutely, I think that terroir. Ooh, already jumping into it, kind of impacts <laughs> the growth of both the beans and the grapes. So. Yeah, I don't know a lot about wine, which is why you're here. I do know a lot about coffee, and I would say, like, even just growing seasons from year to year really changes how even a particular bean or a particular batch of beans may taste after roasting. Um, So, the holidays are here. Uh Uh-huh. Coming up. Many parties. I know that um, you have a holiday party tonight. I also have a holiday party tonight. Yes, the work holiday party. It is the season for gifting bottles of wine honestly they are one of the easiest things to gift you know almost everyone likes wine but what about when you're pairing it with a meal you know for christmas dinner you're doing a throwback to the victorian era Mm -hmm. you know you want to have more of a dickensian christmas you serve a pot roast which is not really Dickensian. Right. But you've, you've made a terrible mistake. You're serving a pot roast. Um, you want to have a wine, but you're a broke student, which is why you're serving a pot roast and not a goose. Right. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? What Red or white first? Well, if it's going to be a pot roast, I would say most traditionally you're always safe with a red wine. Okay. Um, I would say pot roast would be beef-oriented. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say probably something, depending on what seasonings you've used, uh, a safe bet you could always do is probably like a Malbec, uh, something that has some nice fruit-forward notes and also some structure to the wine itself, you know, some nice heat from the alcohol content, just kind of well-roundedness all around, kind of marries together with, with beef. In general, uh, as a common person, I enjoy a good Malbec. It feels uh, round in your mouth. Yes, yeah, is I, that I, a thing I, that I, people say? Honestly, whenever I drink wines, I always get like shapes that kind of show up in my okay. mind. Like, okay, like depending how smooth, how approachable it is on the yeah. palate, if it needs to have fruit or not because some wines you don't need to have any food at all and some it's completely different if there's a food in the picture so i'm glad i'm not just like making shit up as i go along no i think you're very much so (laughs) on the chorus of how i feel about wine so um so we have it poor student red meat based dish Uh malbec and generally can i get a two buck chuck version of malbec um, that is a good question. I, I think you can get some great uh, Malbecs in the fifteen to twenty-five dollar range, which doesn't completely break the bank. Okay. Um, I mean, whenever you look at two buck chuck, uh, I lived in uh, Austin, <laughs> Texas last year for a year, and I discovered a little too well the two buck chuck. And at first, I bought it, and I was like, "This is, you know, an amazing bargain." Of course, it's not the best wine but for two dollars you know how could right? you how can you have a problem 
Um, one thing I have learned as a little life hack, if you ever get a wine and uh, you don't necessarily enjoy it when you open it up, you can kind of cheat by putting it in the freezer oh. for about 30 to 45 minutes Here and get it, got it cold enough to where your tongue won't really pick up on the less desirable aspects of the wine. And overall, it just makes you know any sort of red wine just become a fruit bomb with a you know, like a California Zinfandel. Um, however, you know, as it warms up, your palate will pick up on the less desirable aspects of the wine. So. so the trick is if you are too broke to really afford that nice Christmas wine, mm-hmm. you, all you can afford is a two-buck chuck, which Trader Joe's actually does make a two-buck chuck wine right, that's... for like six bucks. <laughs> it's I, not two dollars. <laughs> I got a case in Austin. I used to sell a two buck chuck of pretty much. I think it was like seven or eight varietals, and I remember getting a case of Chardonnay, and it was. I think it came out to be about fifteen bucks with tax and everything oh, all together. Wow, was it good? Um, the first two bottles, I was like, oh boy, you know, I made a great investment. And somewhere around the third bottle, I was like, I made a horrible decision. <laughs> so I kind of just gifted it to friends. Time there was a party, oh, I'm like, see, I got the do. two buck chuck, and you know, it kind of it was received better by other people. <laughs> <laughs> Less discerning minds, absolutely. Um, so that is the lower end range. You let's say, um, you're doing your family is more southern, perhaps mm-hmm. you're doing a roast pork shoulder for dinner, okay, or perhaps you're you know, Caribbean or English, you're doing a just a pig roast okay. for Christmas dinner, you know, mm-hmm. something a little bit heftier. Um, do you still go red? Um, I would say for the most part, it is safe to go, you know, somewhere within the Cabernet range. Cabernet tends to be a real crowd pleaser. Um, as long as you're staying within the United States and doing something like, you know, of course, California Cab, a lot of people don't have issues uh, drinking those wines if they're more novices but uh, if you get anywhere you know into to France and uh, some of the old world wines mm-hmm. it takes a little bit more of an understanding and appreciation overall but um, of course Cabernets are always uh, the crowd pleaser um, something that I find that's a really great wine for people to try if they want to jump over to France and what might actually are we still good? Okay. Uh, what might actually work with um, uh, pork roast is uh, Grenache. And you what could was that? Grenache. That's, that's one of my favorite varietals. How do we spell that? It's G-R-A-N-A-C-H-E, I believe. Oh, like exactly how it sounds. Right. Is that a French wine? Um, so... It's, it's really just the grape itself. Um, over in uh, France, it would be called uh, Rhone. Pretty much Rhone-style oh, wines. Oh, okay. Um, that's, that's one of the big areas that they uh, produce fantastic Grenache wines. Now, usually they're intertwined with Syrah because Grenache is overall uh, very jammy, very approachable, um, sippable. Mm-hmm. I love it. I call it chuggable as well. Um, that's probably not the classiest way to describe it, but I've enjoyed it you in heard vast it here, quantities. Folks. When you <laughs> pop into your liquor store as you're doing your holiday grocery shopping, please ask for the 
chuggable ride. Chug a chuggable section. Yeah. Um, so Grenache overall being a very approachable grape, it's paired with uh, Syrah. If you've ever seen a Syrah in a glass, it's very dark. It's like almost inky. It looks really pretty. Like a, like a wonderful crystal goblet. It kind of yeah. like, like, is that the casket that Amontillado was tricked into getting it's, walled in for? Or is it beautiful. a special potion? <laughs> you can't tell and you want to drink it to find out. You can almost see a reflection off of it. It's so yeah. dark. Um, but just putting those two grapes together, one that has the beautiful structure and skeleton would be the Syrah. And then the Grenache kind of um, adds its, you know, normal fruit notes to it. You know, usually like blackberry, you know, some macerated raspberry. Um, and then the Syrah, usually they add just a little bit, maybe about 10 to 15% as a blending grape adds uh, structure to the wine. So you have the structure and all the jamminess and it kind of completes the wine. Um, so if you end up bringing a Rhone style, um, you know, wine to this Southern family gathering where you're having <laughs> pork roast, people actually will probably enjoy this wine and they will be surprised if they don't really dabble in French wines, how much they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I always like to lightly chill my wines. Um, people like to, you know, say it should be served room temperature. Yeah. But that phrase does come from Europe where... It's um, cold all the time. Right, exactly. And uh, typically it's good to have that wine chilled at about you know high 60s around like 68 or so because uh, jameson mm-hmm. we're southern in this scenario right um how are we gonna tell that it's high 60s like what does that feel like when i take the bottle out of my fridge trying to think of the best way to relate it to something that everyone's kind of felt in the temperature before um Honestly, the safest bet is usually about anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes in the freezer. Okay, Just throw cool. that timer on your phone, ask whenever you show up to the house if you can kind of chill the wine and put it in there and make sure you put a timer on. Otherwise, there'll be no wine at all and there'll be uh, wine sickles dripping well, from the freezer. You know, you could always swing that as, oh, I was making wine slushies for oh, dessert. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Thinking ahead, trying to be ahead Pro-Zay, of the curve. Rosé, except Frosera. <laughs> That's, that, that's amazing. I think that's the best way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Pronunciation specialist, Nicole Spencer. Um, so we're moving on from, from the south. We're going to travel up I-70. I don't know any of the roads. I'm just assuming that goes north to south. We're going to land uh, in the east coast mm-hmm. where we have a good proper Christmas dinner with a turkey. Okay. It, now... Red or white for turkey? For turkey, um, overall, you know, you can yield one of two meats out of a turkey, white Mm -hmm. or dark. Um, So pretty much any sort of white, you want to have something like a a buttery Chardonnay is a real crowd pleaser, something out of, you know, Sonoma, California. Um, And if you go dark... You can even choose some reds. You can choose something like a, a Pinot Noir, which, of course, is one of the, the lightest popular varietals. Uh, you know, very low tannins. Um, you kind of have some expressions of fruit that's not, uh, you know, um, shadowed by, by the tannins of the wine. And you could also do something like Zinfandel as well. Because a lot of times whenever you have turkey, 
you tend to have uh, cranberry relish yeah or something of that sort to pair with it or like and, a, a nice orange zest in the stuffing but of course the orange <laughs> zest uh I, I think Zinfidel can also, it, it's a real crowd pleaser. I've never really met someone who doesn't like Zinfidel. Um, if you are really into wine, sometimes you might be put off to Zinfidel, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people might write it off altogether because they can be sort of just overwhelming fruit bombs from California and people want some. So too juice-like. Right. Too much, too much jam. <laughs> um, so you might have people that view it in that sort of way but uh yeah pinot noir is a good bet so would you say um because like i'm serving all the entire turkey some people want light some people want dark should i pick the pinot noir and just go with that or should i provide a bottle of white and a bottle of red or should i better yet encourage other people to bring a bottle of white and a bottle of red i i think that's a good idea you can you could choose to provide both yourselves and maybe you kind of roll the dice to see what else someone else might bring. That is true. But if you are going to solely bring a bottle, you might bring Sauvignon Blanc. Ooh. Uh, and that'll be from Loire Valley. And that is a very nice um, varietal. Uh, produced in a different way than you find in the United States. In the United States, it's going to be... Um, Pretty much, it resembles the bio-complexity of grapefruit. What an excellent science-y term (laughs) to throw in here. I I think it's really biochemical complexity, but... I was going to go with whatever. It sounded real fancy. (laughs) Um, So you get really fruity Sauvignon Blancs in the U.S. We pretty much produce majority of wines to be, you know, fruit-driven because... To the novice's palate, you know, this tastes good. I can drink it. True, true, you know? true. Um, but if you jump over to Loire Valley in France, you'll have um, a different type of Sauvignon Blanc, something that is more minerally, um, not strictly driven from fruit, but you'll have some, uh, you'll pick up on the terroir and actual soil, and it's, 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 different but honestly it if you're pairing it with something people are probably going to enjoy it 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 has nice crisp acidity and pairs nicely with both light and dark meat okay so it's like a good in between right all right um speaking of california Mm -hmm. we're gonna crisscross the country now we're in california okay um obviously we're vegetarian because california Mm mm-hmm what do you do if you if you're not preparing a animal based protein for your meal? What if say you're having a nice Mediterranean inspired uh, meal, uh, just a lot of sides, mostly couscous and um, I don't know, maybe like a nice curried chickpea. We're getting out of the Mediterranean, but you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Similar on the palate. <laughs> yeah. Um, perhaps like a nice shakshuka with uh, sauteed Ooh. mushrooms. What is, uh, is it sh- shashuka? Shashuka is basically a tomato stew. Okay. Um, with a poached egg. And after you, after you huh. stew the tomatoes, you poach the egg in the stewed tomato. It's Ooh. amazing. All We're right. going to cover that. 
probably after the new year. Okay. Getting into be interested to hear more about gardening. That. Yeah. Okay. Always um, learn new words around you, Nicole. <laughs> new dishes. Um, or you know, you want you you're newly vegetarian, mm-hmm. and you still want that texture, so you serve. Uh, beautiful roasted hen of the woods mushroom entree over a bed of wild rice with roasted garlic what's the best wine for that i just ate and you made me hungry again (laughs) so i'll have to be thinking about that after um so i would say overall uh, you know a lot of reds like bigger reds um it seems some of them have to be reliant on food in some form. I mean, of course you can drink them by themselves, but uh, people tend to enjoy them intermingled with, uh, with foods. But overall, if you're going to go vegetarian or vegan, um, it's, you don't really want to have a big red wine because mm-hmm. it's not really going to dance very well with the food you have that you're enjoying. It's going to kind of just shadow it. Okay. So I would say, you know, something on the lighter side of reds like you know you can do uh, a Beaujolais Um, you can also do you know as previously mentioned a Pinot Noir if you're going to do red um, Grenache I mean those are you know three red favorites of mine Um, but I mean you can definitely jump over to whites there's like Pinot Grigio Uh, you can get Italian Pinot Grigio how does that differ from French Pinot Grigio? Um, it is more fruit expressive. Okay. Um, an aspect, it, a descriptive term that some sommeliers like to use is a tutti frutti. Tutti frutti. Tutti frutti. And I've heard sommeliers use that term before, so I was like, all right, well, you know, if, <laughs> if you're going to put that out there as... Uh, Know, verbiage to describe it then tutti frutti it is so um it's just it, it's a lot more fruit driven and whenever you have vegetables i guess it kind of really depends on how the vegetables are prepared because if you're just eating like sauteed uh, bell peppers mm-hmm. you know um with with broccoli and it's all this kind of sauteed with an oil salt and pepper and mm-hmm. you know garlic you could probably get away with uh, pinot grigio something a little sweeter Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess it just kind of really depends on the preparation of what you're looking, of what you're doing. Right. Okay. Like that makes sauce. sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, now you mentioned veganism very mm-hmm. briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're vegan and you're looking for wine options, is there anything that you particularly need to worry about? I do know that some am, um, tannins are animal derived. Um, is that widespread? So. There is an old style of producing wines where they would actually use a fish bladder. Wow, that sounds actually, so unappetizing. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the specifics uh, about it, but basically there is a fish bladder used in the process of, uh, it's the, the development of the wine. Um, is I'm, it in any way fermented because I did promise my listeners that there would be no rotten meat in this episode. No raw meat? Rotten. I'm 
I'm not sure exactly where in the process, but <laughs> I, there's some, it, it's kind of tricky depending on where you're going to buy your wine. Uh, we have a place right next to where we live where actually labels the wines with little stickers if it's vegan. Oh, that's beautiful. So you and, don't even have to do guesswork. You can right. kind of just rely on your local liquor store or winery. Yes, <laughs> winery. <laughs> Wine boutique. <laughs> Um, to provide that information for, for the most part um, well I guess really depending where you live because I know being from Florida originally if I were to walk in there small town in Florida and ask you know whoever was buying the desk which wines are vegan I yeah. just might get you know a, a blank stare blank stare and a point to the beer probably yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> those are safe but um I, I'm pretty sure that is the main thing that keeps the wine from being vegan is the usage of the fish bladder. Okay. In the, the production of the wine. And I know sort of some French wines and old world wines, the production, um, they like to keep it very traditional. So maybe if they started that way, they keep it that way because they want to honor you know, their ancestors and whoever. The way things have always been done. Exactly. It's, it's deeply... Uh, ingrained in tradition okay um so say you have a gluten allergy Mm -hmm. Uh, is wine an option for you is that something that you can still have for the most part i haven't really flagged uh, many wines that have had gluten in them okay Um, one thing that might be an issue is apparently the adhesive that they use on some of the barrels that they age wine in mm-hmm. might have, for some reason, had wheat in the adhesive. Oh, I think this is because there used to be a method of making like a wood-based paste out of um, like durum wheat and egg whites. That could, that could be it. Maybe older barrels. Okay. That was a method that they used, but... So if you have a gluten allergy, it would be best to pick maybe a newer wine company, someone that's using more modern techniques, maybe something out of California. Yeah, I I would say for the most part, um, I really feel like it's more of the lower end wines. Oh, that's so unfortunate. That that you might, well, I mean like lower end, lower end, like like super cheap. Oh, closer to the two buck chuck region. Exactly. Like if you were to go into... Um, some big store like Costco or Walmart and you look at the bottom and you see all these huge bottles of wine. Oh, so like the house gallon. Yeah, I, okay. I, I would say that's where you can run into those problems. But unfortunately, they don't, to my knowledge, flag the wines if they have uh, some sort of production where they might run into gluten. So uh, okay. it's, for the most part, myself having a gluten allergy, I haven't really run into that problem where I've had a reaction really I've enjoyed you know lower end of the spectrum wines and sometimes I've, I've had a hangover and I'm not really I can't pinpoint whether it might be an inexpensive wine and maybe there could have been gluten in okay. there or if it's really just such a lower end wine where I'm like you know I, I should have seen that coming yeah so it's kind of hard to really pinpoint if I have had that run in but for the most part it seems like the lower end wines would be maybe where you run into that Okay. So. All right. Well, should anyone really be drinking those wines anyway? Probably not. Probably not. not. <laughs> it, it's great for the bank account, but it's horrible for the liver. So. Um, one last food sensitive um, 
region, area, mm-hmm. group of people that I want to touch on. Nut allergies. Is that okay. something that you come across often in wines? Is that something people need to be wary of? Or is it just one of those things where if it's labeled, it's kind of gratuitous because it doesn't even show up anyway? I don't believe, to my knowledge, there's any wine that would have a run-in with, with nuts. Um, yeah, to my knowledge, I don't think there's there's been any run-in with a, a wine that had nut contamination. Yes beautiful that's good yeah i think that's the entire population of food eaters right yep i I think everyone (laughs) who has a nut allergy is safe with uh yeah um real quick before Mm -hmm. we wrap up here uh there's been a hot debate on my twitter timeline about natural wines um, I don't right. get what people are so upset by. It just seems like a different kind of wine to try. Um, my personal opinion, uh, as someone on the outside of the industry, is if you don't like it, don't drink it. But right. it seems to be like people are very angry about this. Can you shed any light on that? Or So whenever you're discussing and you're talking about natural wine that just means that something that wasn't modified in any sort of way or okay so it's like oh yeah i'm I'm just trying i'm trying to think of it's like a harken back to the days of the roman ages where you put the just all of it in the wine skin seeds gotcha bits of branches and it comes out very orange uh from my understanding it's mostly made of uh, white wine grapes, okay. white grape varietals. <laughs> As you can see, I'm very educated in the world of wine. Um, I, but I honestly, I, it's been so above my understanding that I haven't been able to get a handle on exactly why it might be controversial. Well, I know one big thing is, is people like to always discuss the whole sulfites situation and people believe that it's it's something that is you know always added to wines, but it very much so is a natural occurring aspect of the wine. Um, it's it's kind of just a, a natural way to keep the wine from aging. It's sort of a preservative. Oh, so this is a an argument on well, the age old argument on should we be adding things to our wine or should we just let quote unquote nature do its course with the the natural sugar from the grapes and the yeast added. I, I definitely think, I mean, if you go over to France and you look at how they produce wines, I mean, they have such strict laws to where if you were to irrigate a certain sort of wine outside of, you know, the, the season of growing, like you can be locked up. They have very Are you serious? I am super serious. Wow. I mean, um, but I guess if you're trying to protect a legacy and a certain way of doing things and right. you have standards, like, yeah, I mean, I get it. But at the end of the day, isn't it supposed to be something to be enjoyed and, you know, enjoyed? <laughs> certainly. Certainly. Um, I, I, I think that it's uh, tied in with probably some biblical traditions as well since wine's always kind of been you know central to certain religions um and it's 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 just very much so ingrained in their passion they just believe that there's a very strict way way. yeah Mm -hmm. 
you have to follow the laws, and if not, you can get you can see yourself locked up for a considerable amount of years. Um, uh, wow! So over in the U.S., you know, we, we really don't have that many laws. Yeah, we definitely don't care that much. So we get a little, you know, creative, and we don't really have any sort of constraints like that. So, I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it. I'm all up for experimentation because, you know, there can be some beautiful wines out there. If, if you are very particular in your wine production, you want something prepared traditionally, you know, France always has your back there. True. Um, and then certain places in California, you know, they're, they're never going to manipulate their wines in that sort of way. They're very um, careful on how they produce them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm all about it because I'm just kind of excited to see what is to come. You know, so. Well, this has been what a, a delightful education. It has been. Thank you for joining us, Jameson. Absolutely, I learned some new words today, Nicole. So <laughs> some new dishes. So did I. Um, can't wait to have you back on again, perhaps around Easter. Um, the I think Easter is really the only time we're going to get super religious on this podcast. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that that sounded like we were gonna have like a little bit of a sermon. <laughs> this is still about food. I wasn't sure where you were going with that. <laughs> this is still about food, but okay. I think uh, we'll be getting more because that's more of like a religious holiday. It's not Christmas. I think is more of a time, and it's there's Hanukkah, there's Kwanzaa, right. there's Thanksgiving. There's you multiple. Know. Yeah, but I think uh, Easter is like one of the ones where it's more uh, around Christianity. Um, but wine super heavily based in a lot of religion, so we'll probably check in with you again around that time. That sounds great. Thank you for having me on, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs>